Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to The Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 3 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we explore how you can confidently be yourself, even if you're afraid of what other people may do or think. We discuss how our obsession with niceness and people-pleasing is often a problem and share specific tools you can use to overcome it. We also talk about the power and importance of saying no and the right way to do so so that you can move away from approval-seeking and step into bold authenticity with our guest, Dr. Aziz Gazapura. Do you need more time? Time for work? Time for thinking and reading? Time for the people in your life? time to accomplish your goals? This was the number one problem our listeners outlined, and we created a new video guide that you can get completely for free when you sign up and join our email list. It's called How You Can Create Time for the Things That Really Matter in Life. You can get it completely for free when you sign up and join the email list at successpodcast.com. You're also going to get exclusive content that's only available to our email subscribers. We recently pre-released an episode and an interview to our email subscribers a week before it went live to our broader audience. And that had tremendous implications because there was a limited offer in there with only 50 available spots that got eaten up by the people who were on the email list first. With that same interview, we also offered an exclusive opportunity for people on our email list to engage one-on-one for over an hour with one of our guests in a live exclusive interview just for email subscribers. There's some amazing stuff that's available only to email subscribers that's only going on if you subscribe and sign up to the email list. You can do that by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. Or 
If you're driving around right now, if you're out and about and you're on the go, you don't have time, just text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. In our previous episode, we discussed a highly counterintuitive approach to learning that flies in the face of the way you think you should learn and how it just might transform your learning process. We explore several powerful evidence-based learning strategies that you can start to apply right now in your life. We explain why you should focus on getting knowledge out of your brain instead of into it and what exactly that means. We share a number of powerful memory strategies you can use to supercharge your brain and much more with our previous guest, Peter Brown. If you want to become better at learning, listen to that episode. Now for our interview with Aziz. Today, we have another exciting guest on the show, Dr. Aziz Gazapura. Aziz is a clinical psychologist and the founder of the Center for Social Confidence, which is dedicated to helping others break through their shyness and social anxiety. He's the author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Not Nice, Stop People Pleasing, Staying Silent and Feeling Guilty, and Start Speaking Up, Saying No, Asking Boldly, and Unapologetically Being Yourself. Aziz's work has helped thousands of people through workshops, coaching, media appearances, and much more. Aziz, welcome to The Science of Success. Thanks, Matt. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're super excited to have you on the show. I think this topic is so relevant. And for me personally, as somebody who has sort of a constant battle with people pleasing and not wanting to say no to people and all of these things, I really want to get into the meat of a lot of this stuff. But let's just start with a really simple question, which I'm sure you get all the time, which is you wrote a book about not being nice to people. Why is that? Yeah, well, it's so funny that you just said, you know, this is something you relate to. I cannot tell you how many people just around regular conversations, social gatherings, whatever, when they find out what I do, and then we start talking about the topics, how many people will instantly identify with that and say, oh, yeah, I, I have a problem with niceness, or oh, I deal with that, too. I think it's the vast majority of people. I think it's sort of like epidemic proportions. So like all the things that I create, they come first through my own experience. I struggle with this heavily for many years. And I think it's an ongoing lifelong learning process. So it's by no means done. But not only did I struggle with it, but then I turned around and saw, wow, a lot of people need this. So this is an extremely relevant topic. And I think something that almost everyone, especially in, in our culture and Western culture can relate to. And I think an initial thing to kind of get off to sort of square off on before we get into the meat of it, I'm sure a lot of people here the idea of not being nice and they think about being rude or being mean to people. But you you sort of make this distinction between being nice and being kind. I'd love to explore that a little bit so that listeners can understand that this isn't necessarily about being rude, but it's it's about something much deeper. Absolutely. And you know, the, the title of the book is meant to be a little bit provo provocative. In fact, the topic itself is provocative because it's the first thing people go to. They say, well, what's the opposite of nice? Well, the opposite of nice is mean, is harsh, is rude, is impolite or something like that. But actually, when you start to dig into what niceness really is and where it comes from, niceness is actually very different than kindness, love, generosity, giving. These are, these are uh, pro-social qualities that we actually want to have. They enhance our relationships in our lives. Niceness, though, as I define it in the book, is really rooted in fear rather than love and connection. And behind the niceness is a need to make sure that everything's okay. Make sure that you didn't disturb anyone, upset anyone, that everyone is not bothered by you and therefore approves of you. Hopefully loves you, but at the very least tolerates you. And so you get to avoid all conflict. That's really the, 
the core of where a lot of niceness comes from. And so a lot of the behaviors that we consider, quote, nice might look like they're kind or generous or giving, but really they're coming from this place of fear or obligation or guilt. So I have to say yes to that person. I have to give to that person in small and big ways. In a conversation with someone, I don't want to talk too much because I don't want them to to be bothered by me. I'll just listen and smile and nod to bigger things like, yes, I'll give more in this relationship. Yes, I'll give more of my time at work without setting a boundary and so on and so forth. So that's really the root of niceness is that fear. Whereas kindness and generosity and these these more positive virtues come from a place of choice and you can choose, do I want to give to this person or not? Do, do I want to give in this way? And then if the answer is yes, then it's coming from a, a more centered place. And so I think that's a big distinction. And so the opposite of niceness isn't rudeness. It's not meanness. The opposite of niceness is actually bold authenticity. It's really being you. And then from that place, being able to choose how you want to behave. I love that idea, bold authenticity. And I want to get into that. But before we do there's, there's so many other pieces of this to unpack. When you talk about fear and, and guilt and obligation, even in such a small context, I think about somebody emails me and, and the thought, you know, almost the subconscious pattern races through my head of, you know, I don't want to be rude. What if this person, you know, what if there's a business opportunity? What if they know somebody who knows somebody that ends up negatively impacting me and my work? Or, and there's so many kind of scenarios that play through my head. And I'm sure you had a similar experience with that. How do you start to understand, sort of break through that that fear and those patterns? I mean, that's a great question. I, I think it's so pervasive. It can show up when you check your email. It can show up in a conversation with someone you just met. It can show up with a stranger. It can show up on a date. It can show up at work. So really, this is not just a, uh, an occasional occurrence. This is actually almost like a personality that we adopt. It's not your true personality. It's not who you really are, but it's this way of being in the world. And really what it is, it's damage control. It's safety mode. It's like, how do I get through life? How do I get through my day staying alert to all possible dangers and do whatever I can to avoid them? That's the sort of program that's running in your mind subconsciously as you're checking your email because you know, oh, there's someone wants something or someone asked for something. And your initial gut response is probably like, nah, whatever. I don't want to. I don't even want to respond maybe is your natural gut response. I really dealt with this a lot is I felt this compulsive need to respond to everything, which, you know, worked okay. And when I had just my personal life, whatever, but as I started to grow in my reach and reach more and more people and emails started to come in more and more and more. That became a major problem. And I had a lot of anxiety, similar to what you're describing, about not getting back to people late, not being able to accommodate what they wanted, or worse, as time went on, just not being able to get back to people at all. And now I have you know, a bigger team and people can actually at least get some response, but there's this fear. And when we're in that safety damage control mode, we're kind of scanning the day, like, I, I hope that nothing bad happens. And we're always looking for the ways that it could be problematic. And then our number one priority is to avoid those possible dangers. And usually the dangers are rejection, disapproval of some sort. Our mind magnifies it as if there's going to be a real almost threat to our livelihood or something. Like, well, if someone disapproves of me, then I'll lose customers or I won't get any more business or I'll be fired. And we create these pretty unrealistic, dramatic scenarios. They're part of that safety programming that says, hey, number one is just make sure everyone is pleased. So behind that email pattern you're describing and behind all this stuff, it comes back to the approval seeking and the idea that if I can make sure that no one feels anything negative around me, then I'll be safe. And that's how the nice person lives their life. 
let's get into this approval seeking because I think it's something that I definitely deal with and I'm sure many listeners deal with. Where does it come from and and how can we start to mitigate it? Sure. Um, That's a great question. I think that uh, to some degree, approval seeking, wanting the, the approval of people you interact with is normal and is human and is part of uh, bonding and attachment and connection and whatever makes us human and, and survive as tribes and groups. So sometimes I work with clients or other people and they'll say like, I want to not care at all what people think of me. And, and I get that uh, sentiment because I felt that way too. You know, we, we spend so much time being so worried about what other people think that there's a part of us that's like, I just want to not care at all. It's like, well... You didn't care literally at all. How could you have a a relationship? How could you have a friendship or a marriage? Or you'd be kind of a sociopath. So we don't want to go that far. But what we want to do is we want to not have the awareness, that social awareness of, oh, maybe someone might like this or not. We don't want to have that dominate our choices, our actions, our emotions. And then we don't want to create like panic or anxiety or extreme guilt We want to just tone it down to be able to get to a point where you can say, okay, what do I want to do in this situation? And that is the MVP question. I notice I'm I'm already answering the what we can do about it. So I'll get to first where it comes from, and then we'll dive into the what we can do about it. Because I I love that second part about the liberation. But uh, the MVP question is, what do I want in this situation? Do I want to respond to this email or not? Do I want to ask this person this question or not? Do I want to say yes or do I want to say no here? And once we got that internal awareness of ourselves and not alienated from ourselves and operating from some outside awareness of what's the what should other people think I should do, we're really rooted in ourselves. What do I want? And then we can make a choice of what we're going to say and what we're going to do. But here's the thing, and this goes back to where it all comes from. Most of us are not connected with ourselves. We learn, um, I call it in the book, nice conditioning from a very young age. This is an early upbringing all throughout our childhood. And it starts in the family, whoever raised you, parents, grandparents, extended family. It, ex- it continued on heavily in school, which is we are systematically told to not trust ourselves, to s- step outside of yourself and hey, do the right thing. And what the quote right thing is depends a lot on the family you grew up in. But with all the, a lot of the nice conditioning, the right thing is be nice. Share your toys. Don't be upset. Don't be aggressive. Don't be disobedient. Do what I say. Do what I want you to do. And when you don't do that, I don't care why you don't want to do it. Just do it. It bothers me when you disobey me. That's kind of the message we get. And, I, and, I, and I'll say it now because I say it in the book, too. I want to be clear. I'm a parent <laughs> and I get how hard it is at times. So this isn't about blaming parents or something. It, it is very challenging. And good God, I sure want my kids to be obedient and compliant all the time. But I know there's a cost of kind of demanding that and enforcing that. And that's what a lot of us grew up in. And the result is we're not connected to ourselves. We don't even know what we want. We think a lot of our feelings are bad and unacceptable. So that, you know, if someone says, hey, do you want to come to this thing or do you want to ask ask us something? And our inner response is no. No, I don't want to date you. No, I don't want to go to that thing. Even before we open our mouths to say that, we feel bad. So I'm going to hurt this person, you know, and that's uh, all those are signs of our nice conditioning. So it really comes from early childhood. And we can talk more about the way out, too. You know, it's funny. I I mean, this is getting at sort of some of the solutions to this. But you've you've identified another major challenge and major problem, which is in addition to this whole sort of architecture of of niceness. At the core of it, many people don't know what they want. And and that's, a, I feel like, a major problem in our society. And I had a listener email me literally today asking about how to sort of resolve that and try to figure out what they want out of their lives. That's a big question, but how do we start to answer that and, and really sort of chip away or, or kind of 
clear the fog that's preventing us from from seeing what we truly want to do? Yeah, I love that question because I it's so important and I highlight it so much in the book. What do I want? It's a way of coming back to your yourself, really. And I love that phrase you use, clearing the fog, because I think the issue is, well, first of all, most people don't even realize that that's a very important question. They either think that it's selfish. How dare you even think about what you want in this situation when so-and-so is sick or so-and-so, you know, wants more of you. I remember speaking with a client recently and he's not, he's being overworked, really. It's a pretty intense environment and he wants to make, he needs to make some shifts or he's going to burn out. And, but his primary concern is, yeah, but if I reduce my hours or I ask her to say I need to change something, other people there are going to have to take on more work. Ah, and it was this huge inner conflict and fear and how much he was going to be hurting all these people, you know, not seeing, well, the employer could hire someone else or those are, that's not your responsibility to burn yourself out to help everyone else. But what do I want is it's, lost in that fog or it feels bad and unacceptable to even ask and i see this in relationships too you know what do i want romantically what do i want sexually it's, it's bad so the first thing we need to do is we need to clear the toxic message that what you want is inherently bad or wrong and i go in depth in the book about this no you must turn that around to what i want is inherently good and at first for some people because of their conditioning that sounds like a blasphemy or something like oh what a terrible I'm just going to go out of control. And I make a big distinction between feeling and doing. So we want to just start to uncover, just because you ask, what do I want? Doesn't mean you're going to run out and go force the world to give it to you immediately. But it's part of connecting with yourself. So first is clear the negativity around it's bad to have what I want or ask for what I want or even think about what I want. And I'll say one more thing about that, because I know some people might intellectually think that's a good idea, but don't know how to do it which is to realize that when you're more in touch with what you want, it's not only better for you, it's better for everyone. Because let me give you this quick example. Have you ever been on a date or out with a friend, romantic or platonic, doesn't matter, and you're hanging out with that person and you're like, okay, cool, let's, we're going to go to a movie and we're going to get, uh, let's get a bite to eat. And you're like, hey, so what interests you for food? And they're like, I don't know, whatever you want. And you're like, oh, are you sure? You have any pl- No, no, whatever you want. And you're like, okay, so you pick Mexican food. And you're like, okay, great, now let's go see a movie. What? What do you want to do? You want there's an action movie to watch, there's a romance. And they're like, I don't know, whatever you want. Like, how enraging is that to be around someone that doesn't just say what they want? And it's a detriment to people around you when you don't say what you want. When you don't even know what you want because it bothers them and it does it gives them nothing to work with because the, it's a lie too. It's false because the truth is you do some part of you does want something. Some part of you does prefer a certain food, even if you think you're super flexible. It doesn't mean you can't go different ways, but there's a part of you that does want a certain kind of like something most. And there's a part of you that likes a certain kind of movie the most and something sounds the best to you. And people want to know that. And when they know that you can work together, can be on the table and you can actually create better choices as a group. So people benefit when you know what you want. And then the last way to actually start to find what it is, is you got to take the time to do it. And you mentioned that fog. You know, I was just doing some research on this for for my next book which is you know, why we're uh, so against ourselves, why we turn ourselves so critical. And of course, I was thinking about media and what amount of media has to do with that. And so I was looking up, well, how much TV are we watching these days? And you know, the stats are always crazy. Like the average American watches you know, five hours of TV a day. So I was looking up what they currently are. Here's the most recent statistic from the Nielsen uh, in 2018. These are uh, just uh, my best memory right now. But it's uh, four hours a day of live TV, about 45 minutes a day of recorded TV, like with TiVo and stuff, 
And then, but when you add in all sorts of screen time, including uh, social media, cell phone, tablets, streaming on Netflix, Hulu, uh, all Amazon, all that stuff, people are watching a screen 11 hours a day as of the first part of 2018. 11 hours a day. And that's not including work time. So that means basically every waking moment that we're not at work, and we're probably out of screen at work too, like we're hooked on the screen. We're insanely addicted to it. So it is very hard to find out what you want when you're compulsively externally focused. And not only, you're not like, you're not like externally focused on a flower. You are externally focused on something that's jamming huge amounts of input into you, trying to influence what you want and saying, you want this, don't you? You want that, don't you? You should want this. So whether it's a certain body image or a certain kind of partner or a certain lifestyle or a certain object or a, a car or whatever, we're in this cloud. So to find out what you want, you got to unplug for at least a little bit at a time. And the more, the better in a lot of ways. And then, so go for a 30 minute walk with no headphones and ask yourself that question. What do I want? And ask it not with like, okay, <laughs> I got 28 minutes. Let me find out what I want for my whole life. Like, no, just ask yourself that question. What do I want in this moment? What do I want today? What do I want in my job? What do I want? You know, and you just ask it and maybe you find some answers that day, maybe not. But if you had a practice of that where you did that walk, I don't know, three times a week, you would find so many answers so quickly once you unplug and really start to tune inward. You know, it's funny. I think the question that that obviously comes to bear on this that you you addressed in some ways, but I'm sure listeners are are thinking and asking themselves and I'm honestly asking myself this, even though I know intellectually that this is true, but when you come back to it, you know, is doing what we want selfish? Ah, it's so good. I'm glad you're asking that and, and, and voicing that because it is in there. That is part of our training. And the truth is it can be, right? And so I talk, I have a chapter in the book called Be More Selfish. Again, <laughs> controversial title, that I'd make it uh, spicy, but that is actually true. We do need to do that. It's just that there is a, Selfish is not binary. It's not A or B. It's not like you're selfish or you're not. Uh, selfish is just a, is a subjective interpretive label that you put on something. So, you know, if someone says, hey, can you give me a ride to the airport? And you say, uh, no, I can't do that. I'm sorry. Is that selfish? Well, it's actually a complex calculation, right? There's, it's in the eye of the beholder because what if the friend that asked you for the ride never does anything for you at all and, and refuses all of your requests? So then is it selfish? Well, most people would say, well, no, no. You know, but what if that friend does a lot for you? Then is that selfish? Well, people say, yeah, you know, so there's like this social accumulation of data people are, are assessing. So it's not binary. It's, it's much more complex than that. It's much more nuanced. And there's a spectrum. I have this in the book. There's a spectrum of selfishness. So on one side, you can go too far. You can just be totally self-absorbed, self-interest, egomaniac, like just give me what I want. I don't care about you at all. I'm going to use you like a like a chess piece, like a tool to get what I want. And there, you know, the people that operate in the world that way, and that is destructive to relationships, to companies, to to them ultimately, even if they don't know it. But that doesn't mean that the opposite of that is actually any healthier, because the opposite of that, the extreme opposite, of the other end of the spectrum, is self denying, self sacrificing. And that's like, it doesn't matter what I want. My needs don't matter at all. Whatever you need or want or whatever, here I am. And for me to say no, just because I don't want to, or because it feels too overwhelming or stressful, or just feels like too much for me to say yes to that, doesn't matter. That's bad. And so what we want to do is we actually want to, you know, and a lot of people that are nice kind of live towards that end of the spectrum. So we want to move up the spectrum towards more selfish into the healthy self-interest range. 
And where that can, that can be described as, okay, you have needs and desires and I have needs and desires and both of them matter. And I need to figure out in this moment what's going to be right for me. So sometimes I'm going to prioritize my own needs because that's what I, that's part of balance. That's what I need to do. So no, I can't give you that ride because I have these seven other things that I'm doing and that's just going to, that's going to tip me over the edge. Or sometimes I'm going to prioritize your needs, you know, like I have a family and wife and kids. And so a lot of times I do prioritize what they might need over what I might need. But I can still do the opposite and sometimes prioritize myself. So that's the that's the secret is that balance. And that only comes when we have the nuance to understand that it's not just you're either selfish or not good or bad. And it's really okay to uncover and decide case by case. I think bringing the idea of a spectrum to it really shines light on how to think about it more intelligently. And and it reminds me of a quote from one of my favorite books of all time, The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell. And he's talking to Bill Moyers about uh, this book by Sinclair Lewis called Babbitt. And the quote is, I've never done a thing I wanted in all my life. And that's from the Sinclair Lewis book. But Joseph Campbell then goes on to say, basically, don't be that person, right? Don't be the person who's never done a thing they wanted in all their lives. And yet so many of us spend so much more time on the self-sacrificing side of the spectrum. And I think the word that you used that puts it in sort of a new light is to seek balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, and that's really what it is. You know, intense self-sacrifice might be essential in a time of crisis. You know, someone's sick or you, know, you spend the night at the hospital. It doesn't matter if you're tired or you're, you're not at work or whatever. Sure, that we want to be able to do that. That's part of life. But if you operate that way, and I think a lot of when we're in that nice mode, we, we are kind of operating that way because we're treating everything like a crisis. If that person who emailed me doesn't hear back, that's a crisis. If I say no to this friend who wants me to go to this thing this weekend, that's a crisis. And every, you know, and so where there's that underneath that, there's a threat mode happening. And this is super essential for everyone to understand that niceness is not uh, excessive niceness and the problems around it is not benign. It's not like, okay, well, maybe it's, it's hard and it makes me not have the life I fully want, but at least I'm doing the right thing, darn it. It's actually not that because what happens is when you're in that kind of state of fear and threat that's underneath niceness, you are much more prone to experience all kinds of symptoms as a result. And these symptoms can range from physical symptoms, GI symptoms, stomach problems, all kinds of manifestations of back pain, shoulder pain, neck pain. The term that's been coined by many doctors is TMS, tension myositis syndrome or tension myoneural syndrome. There's a phenomenal author named Dr. John Sarno was a pioneer in this field, but it's a, most people don't realize how many of their aches and pains and physical problems and even things that they they think are injuries are actually the result of living in this kind of chronic, uh, stressed, fearful state. And one of the biggest contributors is actually niceness. And so I think it's so important to realize that you're not only not living the life that you want, which might make you feel more depressed or dissatisfied, but you're also literally harming your body by re- remaining in this overly nice mode for for years. I want to transition and look at some of the other manifestations of this. One of them, and I mean, these are outcroppings of the same theme and idea, and, and so the underpinnings are going to be very similar. But you talk about saying no and the importance of saying no, and that's a particular area of niceness that I personally really struggle with. But I'm curious how how we can start to think more effectively about that and really start to say no more often in the right contexts. Great. I love that question. I think the the conversation we were just having is a perfect prelude about the, the selfishness because one of the reasons we don't say no is, well, that's selfish. 
And so really getting clear that at times to support that balance, you're going to need to prioritize your own needs. And that's not bad. That's not wrong. That's not uh, malevolent or something or against other people or harming people. That's healthy. That's part of a healthy relationship. And so to that end, sometimes when we're prioritizing our, our own needs, we need to say no. And how do you know if you say yes or no? Well, it starts with that. Well, what do I want? And so I really encourage people to ask that question, not just as like a soul searching journey, you know, once a, you know, on that 30 minute walk or something, I mean, moment to moment. And, and it's so important to start asking that question. And you might even want to like write it on your hand or have it on a sticky note on your desk or your computer, especially if you're, that's, if that's where you're checking your email and there's a lot of responses where you are saying yes or no to things. Because the conditioning to say yes can be so fast. I've had clients I've been working on this with who they want, they set the intention to say no. We talk about strategies, which we can talk about in just a moment, about how to do it, how to be ready to do it. They're all primed and here they go. And the next thing they know, they'll have said yes three times without even realizing that it happened. It just came out. It's, it's so uh, conditioned. So first, we got to become aware that it's okay to say no, that we need to say no, and that we want to do it more. Once that stage is set, then, and having those reminders to help you remember to do it. And then it's a matter of, of actually just practicing it and saying no, like many of the other forms of retraining from niceness to authenticity. It's all about discomfort tolerance, really. If you're willing to experience discomfort in the short term, you will gain much more benefit in your life in the long term. Because in the short term, saying no to that person is can be uncomfortable. It can also be fascinating, though, because... When many people who are trapped in the cage of niceness almost never say no, unless it's like, oh my God, that, you know, that's, that's, this, there's a clear overwhelming reason. If it's not, they'll just say yes. And what they do is they live in a cloud of stories of what could happen if they said no. Oh, this person could get upset. And this thing you were talking about, like so-and-so is going to tell so-and-so and that's going to negatively reflect me and I'm not going to have guest interviews or whatever, you know, stories we come up with. And, but we never test it. And so what I love is working with people and watching them start to really test it. And hands down, two things almost always happen. One, the dramatic fantasy that they created in their mind about what was going to happen doesn't happen. And we all know that. And hearing that on this podcast is one thing, but actually viscerally experience that in your own life. Like, wow, I was making myself bonkers and that didn't even happen. That's a powerful lesson that we all should benefit from, from, from experiencing. So doing it, testing it and seeing A, doesn't actually happen most of the time or B, that if someone does have a negative reaction or gets upset, that we can handle it. And that's even the more empowering part is you can tell yourself for months, I can handle it, I can handle it, but nothing shows you you can handle it like going through it. But here's the thing, handling it might be uncomfortable. Saying no might be probably uncomfortable at first. We had to face those fears, face that discomfort. What I love to liken it to strength training or I don't know, building any sort of physical strength, whether it's running or weightlifting. You know, if you go for, if you go to the gym and you're never uncomfortable, uh, you're probably not growing in strength at all. I don't know what you're doing. You're just, you know, stretching, hanging out. Even in stretching, you can be uncomfortable, right? So we got to lean into that edge. And that's exactly what no is. And just like a muscle, your capacity to say no grows. So if you made a commitment right now, and anyone listening made a commitment now, say, I'm going to say no twice this week. I'm going to look for two opportunities to say no. And then you did it again next week. And then again next week, and maybe even upped it and said no to more things. Within literally three to four weeks, you would be in a very different place than you are now. I mean, it can start to happen that fast, just like you can start to build muscle that fast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. So I love this this notion of facing discomfort, and we've had a number of episodes on the show and interviews where we've gone really deep into how to get you know how to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, and we'll throw those into the show notes for listeners who want to dig into that. But I want to come back to some of these specific kind of tactical strategies for saying no. How do we actually do it in the moment? Yeah, that's great. So a lot of people want to be like super smooth at it, and I would say think of it like an instrument or any other skill. Just start playing it and you'll get there. But so first and first and foremost, just play play it and consistently play it as we've been talking about. You know, face that discomfort. But there are ways to refine our skill. First, and this is actually a surprising one, is inner game. It's complete and total permission to say no. Because what happens is people start to, you know, okay, okay, I'm gonna say no, I'm gonna be less nice, I need to do it, here I go. And they're really nervous. And there's a lot of mixed messages inside of them that says what I'm doing is bad. And so therefore their communication is very murky and muddled. It'll come out as very apologetic. Oh, I can't, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry I can't drive you to the airport, ah, I'm so bad. It'll come across as self-effacing or um, they'll, 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 they'll talk about why they're bad. It's amazing when you hear people say this. 
or they'll have a very elaborate explanation. So they really get across why they totally would do it, except for you know, here's my seven reasons why. So what I encourage people to do is first and foremost, remind themselves they have complete permission to say no and it's healthy. And then the second step is gonna be to say no and to minimize, remove actually all qualifiers and then minimize the, the explanation. You know, you can give a short, sentence or two if it's relevant. So for example, instead of saying, no, I can't get that to you by then because I have this and I got to do that. Just say, okay, you want that by Friday. I'm not going to be able to do that. I have several other things before then that I, that I have to get done, but I'm not going to get it to you on, on Friday. Let's figure out what else we can do. So short, it's tight. And then be willing to sit in the no. This is another super important part because sometimes people will say it and then they'll need to, they'll immediately actually overcommit to something else. If you've ever done this, this was the worst. If we say no, no, I can't have you at this time or no, we can't do that. But how about on this time? Or how about this? Or how about these other seven things that I can give you? And now we've overcommitted to something else. So sit in the no. Just say, I'd love to, I can't. That sounds, you know, thank you for the invitation. I'm not gonna be able to make it, period. And just be okay to sit in that, whether it's in a text and you just let it lie or, you know, face to face or over the phone and and be in that discomfort. And here's the thing. And I, I talk about this a lot with my wife because you know, we all are over, overcoming our niceness. But one of her um, uh, little triggers is saying no to a friend or someone she's building a relationship with, saying no to their invitations, especially if it's like the second time in a row for whatever reason. And she has this fear. It's like, well, if I say no to someone twice, especially too close together, they're not going to want to be my friend anymore. And what I often remind her is, let's test that out. I actually think that if you say no twice, but you know, you're warm and maybe you even offer other alternatives, that people want you more. You become in slightly higher demand. You're not so available. And not as a game, but just it doesn't, it's not gonna ruin relationships. So sit in the no, trust that it's not all over, the building won't crumple, and then practice it again and again and again. I think the idea of of getting the reps in and sort of doing the work of building that muscle is such an important mental model to apply to developing the skill set of being less nice of saying no and this is sort of a segue which will will go kind of far away from where we are but then we'll come back to it but you have an amazing youtube video which we'll put in the show notes as well where you kind of do street shenanigans and one of the things that i thought was really interesting at the beginning of that was street shenanigans which you can kind of explain to listeners what that is but was you did a bunch of as you call them i think warm-ups for your social fitness at the beginning of that which is another great example of sort of the same idea of building getting those reps in and sort of building that muscle Yes, street shenanigans. We just had a lot of viewers on the YouTube channel that were asking me to demonstrate things. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go out in the street. And one of the big things is a lot of people are feeling the social anxiety. And so my key goal with that video was not to do the smoothest, suavest stuff in the world, but to show, hey, you can just do whatever you want, kind of, and it doesn't matter. You can be silly, you can be outrageous, you can say weird things. Like, and you're okay no matter what is what I really wanted to convey. So I sent a message out to my list and said, like, and and the YouTube channel, like, what do you want to see me do? And so it's kind of like a dare kind of thing. You got all these ridiculous things that I had to sift through. And I I picked the ones that would make me the most uncomfortable, as long as they weren't socially aggressive. Some of them were, I was like, eh, we're not going to do that. But so we picked the ones that were uh, affirming, you know, leave a positive experience for everyone, but are uncomfortable. And that was the goal. And, but before you jump into that and, you know, People might ask, like, why on earth would you want to do that? Well, uh, discomfort, tolerance, your ability to go into something uncomfortable and do it is transferable. So if you can do push-ups on a street corner, then you are actually going to be much more able to approach someone you're attracted to. They might seem like totally different things, but 
one of the biggest things that stops us from approaching someone we're attracted to is the fear of embarrassment, the fear of being judged by that person or by witnesses around or uh, our friends watching. You know, it's our ego. It's like, oh, I'm going to look as good. Well, if you go out and do you know, push-ups on a street corner or flex in a store window, as someone asked me to do, you get over yourself. It's okay to be embarrassed. You can tolerate that embarrassment, that social people watching you. And then therefore you're able to go do something that's of, of real value to you. And so, but whether we're going to go talk to people we're attracted to, do something of literal value or just these, these exercises to build that muscle, you start with a warm up because it is so much like fitness. And so I'll just walk down the street and do what's called friendly greetings. Just say hi to people a dozen times on a busy street. And it's amazing. I mean, I've seen this again and again out in the world with people where they go from a place of like, oh, I'm too t- I'm, I can't talk to anyone. I feel uncomfortable right now. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm self-conscious. And then we scale it back to some friendly greetings, maybe even have them walk up to a couple of people and say, hey, you know, do you have a, a restaurant recommendation? You know, it's lunchtime. We're curious to get where we can get some food. You know, some low risk question where they're probably not going to get rejected. I've seen this literally happen a number of times. One guy I'm thinking of where he did a couple friendly greetings, did that twice, asked for restaurants. And then the next thing I know, literally, he was, there was a woman he wanted to talk to who was walking down the street and she was pretty far away. And he like ran to catch up to her and jumped, not jumped, he, you know, uh, appropriately walked around her to get in front of her and started all this like long extended conversation, like from zero to 60, which would have been impossible literally 10 minutes earlier. So the warm up is a, a big believer in that. And I've seen it work wonders. The funny thing is this stuff is, is really fun and enjoyable once you kind of get into it. You know, I mean, when you watch the the street shenanigans video, I, I was laughing and smiling within probably one minute of it starting. Even just the friendly greetings were hilarious. Um, and then some of the other stuff was even more funny. But, you know, at Austin and I, the producer of the show, we were in Minneapolis recently for a speaking engagement and we had some extra time to kill before the before I went on stage. And we went to Mall of America and just decided that we were going to do rejection therapy for the whole evening. And we, you know, we had a blast. We were laughing. We got some free cookies. We got discounts on stuff. We we were just goofing around and doing all these things. But it seems so sort of scary. But as soon as you start to build that muscle and flex that and get comfortable being uncomfortable, all of these kind of exciting, fun, wacky, ridiculous opportunities open up and you start to realize that the world isn't that scary of a place. Yes, you're speaking my language. That's why we have a banner at my live events that says the world is a friendly place. And, you know, that's a complex topic you could debate philosophically about. But in one way, it's trying to highlight exactly what you're saying, which is when we step out, there, there's like this threshold. It's like um what's it called critical velocity when like a spaceship is trying to take off and it, it reaches some distance and speed from the earth's gravitational pull or something and it blasts out there's some process i've found that happens that that's like that socially where there's all this gravity kind of holding us inside of ourselves to where we can't even look at people can't even make eye contact like oh my god i can't take out my my ear pods right now uh and then if we push that edge and we start to build that that, that you know the rocket starts going we start to move outside of ourselves at first, it's really scary and really uncomfortable. But if we just keep doing it, and I don't mean keep doing it over years, I mean literally over the course of like 50, you know, 10, 15 minutes, what happens is we reach this like breaking point where we just pop into like no gravity. And all of a sudden, I've seen this happen so many times with people, especially at the live events, because the live events, we take everyone out. It's like, we're not just going to sit in a room and talk about this. You're going to go do it and we're going to watch you. 
And what I've seen happen again and again is all of a sudden they're like, whoa, I think I can do like anything and I'm, and I'm okay. Because once, you know, embarrassment or rejection are no longer intolerable experiences, then you can kind of say what you want and do what you want. I remember I had one guy I was working with who was almost like, no, give me something else that's going to make me really scared. What's the next thing? Give me something else. I was like, I don't have anything else. Like you can do whatever you want right now. You're liberated in this moment. And that's what we're going for. And I just, I love how you just described that in the story with you and Austin, because I want, that's what I want people to experience is to get on the other side of that and feel what it's like to be socially free, to be liberated. And then they can just be who they are and really enjoy that and have fun. You know, one of my favorite quotes is everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear, which perfectly squares with that. And I think this, you know, we kind of came far away, but I want to come back. This, this really comes back to once you've overcome this niceness and the fear and the insecurity that that underpins that, how do we start to ask boldly? That's one of the the sort of promises that you make in the headline of the book and start unapologetically being ourselves. Yeah, I love that. The unapologetically being ourselves comes when we have first seen that niceness is not serving us, that it actually it's not who we are. It's a safety pattern. Then we start to take the risks and face the discomfort to say no, to in some way figure out what we want and then ask for it. We start to do the behaviors. We can't just read about it and think, oh, yeah, that sounds good one day. But literally do it. Get in the gym, as it were. Lift those weights. Get uncomfortable. Then the the byproduct of that is you stop being afraid to be you. You build this inner power that allows you to tolerate someone's disapproval. Okay, I know that they might not like this, but this is what I want to do or this is important for me to say, so I'm going to say it. So you have that freedom, you have that choice. And that's where that unapologetic comes from. It's like, no, this is this is okay for me to be me. And you know, so one of the other things to practice in addition to saying no to get there is the asking for what we want. So you know, step one is what do I want and really discovering it. Step two is ask for it or state it or request it. And again, uh, there's just a lot of fear behind this, uh, fear of rejection, fear of upsetting the other person, fear, fear, fear. And as you just said, which I love is, well, everything you want in your life is over that fear, around that fear, through that fear. And so, so much of the time people approach fear as if it's like this brick wall, but really it's like a it's like a thin curtain and you can literally walk right through it. And the only thing stopping us is the physical discomfort in our own nervous system. And so when we move into it and just ask for what we want, and so that's another practice, very simply, just like no, saying no is asking for what we want. So, hey, I'd like to do this, or can we do this? Or it would be important for me if we could do that. And finding, again, two opportunities a week to specifically ask for what you want. And then, you know, uh, just like you want to strengthen yourself by lifting more systematically over time or running further or faster, whatever your goals are, uh, physically, you want to ask for things that are edgier for you. So maybe at first you literally just ask, I don't know, maybe just ask the, the server for a check at a restaurant because normally you're so nice that you just wait for them to give it to you. Even if you're in a hurry, or maybe you ask, say, hey, listen, I'm in a hurry. Can you rush my order today at the restaurant? Those are simple things, right? And maybe that's the weight that you can lift right now because even that feels uncomfortable. But eventually, as you do it more, you can start to ask for more vulnerable things. Ask for something in a close friendship or ask for something in a conversation with a friend or a sibling. Say, hey, listen, there's something I want to talk with you about. And I'd love to just um, have your attention for like 10 minutes as we talk about something that's important to me. Maybe you never request that. Maybe that feels so selfish or edgy or you know, so that would be the next level to lift up. And then, of course, in your romantic relationship, uh, being able to ask more 
authentically for what you want, whether it's time together or something around your sex life. I would love if we could do this. Or similarly, what do you do not want? I want to do less of this. This is uncomfortable for me when we do this and not uncomfortable in a good kind of way. Like I should do it more <laughs> like a, I wish we didn't do this. You know, all of that is going to come from taking those risks. And that's why I call it, you know, boldly asking for what you want is because it's scary. It's edgy. It feels like a risk. And so, you know, we need courage, we need boldness, and we want to do so with that owning of ourselves. If someone has a parent or boss or friend who they're especially, you know, scared of disappointing or the, the triggers a stronger feeling around some of these insecurities and put them into sort of the shell of niceness, are there any particular strategies that you would recommend or that you've seen work for dealing with those kinds of dynamics? Yeah, absolutely. I would say don't start there. <laughs> that's the top of the mountain, you know, because that's just it's, it's think about like our weight, right? It's, it's too heavy of a weight. And so, you know, people will sometimes be down on themselves or beat themselves up about it. And that never works. We cannot beat ourselves into confidence or any new behavior long term. So what you want to do is do all the stuff that we're talking about in this in this episode, the small weights, the five pound weights. So, you know, look at what your patterns are, your dysfunctional patterns are with that parent or that boss. Oh, I can't say no to him or her. Or whenever they make a comment about me, I just feel, I believe everything they say and I feel terrible about myself. Okay, well, those are signs of things that you want to work on, but start working on them elsewhere because it's very unlikely that you are totally aware of what you want. You've built up a lot of muscle in being able to say no and act in your healthy self-interest in every single instance of your life and all your relationships except for your boss or except for your dad or your mom. You're probably doing it everywhere. It's just more intense with them. So work on it elsewhere. And I've seen this again and again, especially people that are in my group program where we work together for a year or sometimes even two or more. You know, they, the first year there, it's all they're you know, interacting with strangers or colleagues or even dating and stuff. But then in the second year, it's more like, okay, with their longer term relationships, with their spouse, with their family, with their parents. And they're kind of surprised, like, wow, this is so hard to do with my dad or my mom. And it's like, yeah, that is the epicenter. That was the, where the nice conditioning was first you know, transmitted to you. So of course it's going to be it's going to stir up the most discomfort. So I'd say work your way up to it. Great piece of advice. And and for listeners who want to concretely implement some of these ideas and I, and I think we've touched on a number of these, but what would be one or two pieces of homework that would be simple action items they could start with right away to to put some of these ideas into practice? Great. Absolutely. The first thing would be to make a fundamental decision that you don't want to be this nice anymore. And that might seem kind of obvious or like, oh yeah, I'm already there. But no, like really sit down and write out just a short paragraph. You can do it on your phone or laptop or write it on a cocktail napkin. It doesn't matter why it's no longer serving me to be this way, to be this nice. And I'm going to do something different because without that fundamental decision, there's still this story in us that it's better to be nice and it's bad to hurt other people's feelings and oh, I can't upset anyone. That's so wrong. And that will undermine any tactical or strategic attempt to change this. Because as soon as you do it, you'll you'll feel guilty or uncomfortable and say, oh, that was the wrong thing to do. And we need to be in an environment that supports this so that when you take that action, you feel guilty. The environment tells you like, yeah, you feel guilty, but you didn't do anything bad. This is actually healthy. And, you know, I designed the book to hopefully be that environment for people. Obviously, you know, in my world, when I work with people in workshops or my groups, we create that culture so that people can get that affirmation. But in the absence of all that, just at least write out the commitment, the decision to yourself. And then the second thing 
it would be just to pick one thing. I mean, we talked about a lot of things and sometimes people are like, okay, I'm gonna do it all. Well, that's kind of overwhelming. <laughs> just pick, pick one thing. So what's the one that is either the easiest for you to do or the one you feel like, oh man, that would benefit my life, I need that the most. So maybe that's saying no. Maybe that's you know asking yourself, what do I want and discovering it. Maybe that's practicing asking for what you want. Maybe that's being more slightly higher up on the selfishness spectrum and putting your own needs first sometimes, you know, and some of the other things we talked about as well. So picking one of those things and then just setting a very specific small goal, like I'm going to say no twice this week, or I'm going to practice putting my own needs first once this week, or I'm going to, we didn't get into boundaries in this call, but uh, maybe you need to set a boundary with someone by saying, you know, asking for what you want or saying no, or, or telling them something needs to be different. Maybe you set a goal to do that. And here's the thing, it's like any sort of training. You wanna start with where you can and just keep leaning into that edge. And you'd be amazed over time, you know, in a period of three, six months, what can radically transform if we consistently do this sort of thing. And for listeners who wanna find you and your work online, what's the best place for them to do that? Sure, the website that kind of captures everything is my main website, which is socialconfidencecenter.com, socialconfidencecenter.com. And that's, you can find out about my book and YouTube and live events and all those things in the, in the podcast. So that's kind of like the hub. And then, you know, from there, you can see what, what you want to take in. We have a lot of free stuff with YouTube and podcast. Or, you know, if you want to get immersed in an environment and there's live events, uh, year-long mastermind program, all kinds of great ways to really take these ideas from intellectual to actual reprogramming ourselves because it's it's uncomfortable. And I don't know, I didn't make very much progress in my fitness in my entire life until two years ago. I'm 35 now. So from 33 to 35, I made more progress in my fitness than my entire life. And that was the two years that I joined um, like a, a gym with a trainer and, and had that accountability of that group. So that's the next level when you really want to make these changes. Well, Aziz, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing all this wisdom. This is a topic that's very personal for me and I think really, really relevant. And I have a post-it note, my, one of my baby steps, I got a post-it note that says, say no and ask boldly, sitting right next to my monitor now. So that'll be at least one little action step reminder. But again, thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing all this wisdom. Beautiful. I love that. I love that you're, you're applying that. You're most welcome. And I think it's gonna be a really cool experience when you do that, you say no or you ask boldly and it's uncomfortable. And then you get on the other side and see like, whoa, nothing terrible happened that I couldn't handle. And then boom, you just grow in power. So I love it. Did you enjoy this episode? Do you want to step into bold authenticity and stop being afraid to be yourself? Go to successpodcast.com slash confidence to check out Confidence University. Our guest on this episode, Aziz Gazapura, has an incredible course offering here that you should definitely check out. Again, that's successpodcast.com slash confidence if you want to step into the bold authenticity of being yourself and stop being afraid of what other people think about you. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including 
an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Success.